This is The Business Machine. We talk with small business owners and entrepreneurs to get their advice on how they run their machines. These inspirational leaders share with us some of the tools they use to run their machines and talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way and what they learned. As business owners, we're all trying to fuel our machines, create a great team, and put tools in place so that eventually our machines will run themselves. So get ready. Up next, the business machines firing up. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the business machine. As always, I'm your host, Brian Town, and CEO and owner of Michigan Creative. So glad uh, that you could join us today. We're really excited to have our next guest, and our next guest is Dana Oliver, and Dana is the Senior Director of Research and Development at Medtronic Surgical Technologies ENTNT Division, and he has helped grow this business unit from $100 million to approximately $2 billion in annual revenue over 14 years. He's also the author of a wonderful book called Mantra Design, Innovate, Buy, or Die, and I'm super excited to talk about that. We all need mantras to help us survive <laughs> in this business world. Dana, thanks for joining us on The Business Machine. Brian, hey, first let me say it's a pleasure to meet you, and thank you very much for having me as part of our Business Machine podcast. This is great. Good. I'm so glad you could be on here, and I love your book, and I want to talk about that too. But Dana, we always like to find out what you do, and the easiest way to do that is somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what do you do? What do you tell them? I, I guess I'm an inventor, and I work in the medical device field, so help uh, modernize uh, Technology. I specialize in ENT and NT, or, or ear, nose, and throat neurological technology, medical devices. So, anything that if you needed to get into someone's head or their spine, uh, that's effectively uh, the kind of products that I develop and bring to market. So now let's go to the book because over the course of your years doing this, did the book come out of, hey, this is what we did, um, and this is what I did to grow this company. And then, then you're like, well, I should probably let other people know. Is that kind of how it came? Tell us about that and why, why write a book now? Yeah, sure. I have a very good question, Brian, and thank you. I think for me, I mean, the book is a culmination of my best practices, which have really taken place over my 30-year career. You know, so for, you know, for me, I've, I've been very successful, uh, you know, come from humble beginnings and, and, and have uh, done quite well uh, in life. And so I wanted to share the book. I wanted to share these best practices. But I will say that, you know, through these 30 years, I've culminated them to the best of those practices. And that's what the book shines and sh it shares. So give us the overview. You know, mantra is not yeah. something you necessarily, mantra design is not a typical name for a business book. Um, yeah. if you, if you read, you know, if you just read the cover, you're like, well, is this a business book or is this a, you know, what is it? So what is, yeah. mantra? what's mantra mean to you in business and what should it mean to us? Sure. Yeah, that's a great, and sorry, I probably should have answered that more directly is mantra design in its essence, it reveals to people how to identify their customers unmet needs and then transform these unmet needs into patent protected premium priced market share leading products and technologies. That's what the book is. As far as the title mantra goes uh, and innovate, buy, or die, two things. I regularly use mantras uh, in my leadership style. And that's really important because part of leadership is you need to be short, concise, and consistent with your messaging to your people. Um, so I use a lot of mantras. And so obviously, I, I, I use, I've referenced these and made each, each chapter in the book a mantra. 
So, uh, and as far as the subtitle, Innovate, Buy, or Die, it just goes to show my passion towards organic innovation. Too many companies now rely on either acquiring technology or underinvesting in their organic, right. and frankly, it hurts them. And so a lot of these best practices I've put in place are, again, they've been highly successful uh, when you look at the, you know, how well surgical technologies has done. Now, can this apply, you know, you're pretty into the surgical, I mean, not pretty, but very much yeah. so into the surgical field and, and you know, a, a much larger company than I think probably most of our listeners are working on, on, the, on the run and, and we're running on, yeah. on the ground. And so how can we apply, like to me, you know, what's really interesting is we don't yeah. think of, of as service providers, which are a lot of our, our listeners and, and people that we work with are service providers. We don't think about what we have as a product. And when I was reading through your book, I noticed that in Mantra 10 was become the product. Yeah. So maybe talk, <laughs> talk about that a little bit because I really, really like that and I get it and I like it. And I, you know, it's something that I think yeah. why I like Mantra and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's something that as a business owner or as somebody who is an executive, you have to say these things to yourself many, many times to make sure that you keep remembering what you're trying to do. So how can we be the product or how can we be our product? Because aren't we products of our service, you know, anyway? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Brian. And so first off, even though I've spent 30 years in medical and written a book for that, it's it's applicable to all industries because at the end of the day, it begins and ends with customers. And that's my focus on the book. Um, I, well, we, we should probably talk about my foundational principles. But I think to answer your question about becoming the product, which is a really good one, is it's about the entire ecosystem. The example I like to use in a book is, you know, if, if you're irrespective of whether you're a vegetarian or not, but think about if, you know, I like filet. Uh, and, and if I go out and, and a chef cooks me the best filet I've ever had in my life, but yet my experience getting to the restaurant was terrible. You know, right. maybe my car got dinged. Maybe it was raining and my car, my clothes got wet. My reservation was lost. They put me in a noisy corner of the restaurant, you know, um, all my uh, up my appetizer was wrong. My side plates were, you know, not right or they were cold. All of a sudden, does that fillet? Is that very good? Does your experience at that restaurant resonate? Yeah. The answer is unequivocally no. And so, for me, when I say become the product, get out from your desk, get out from your office, and go follow. You know, become the product. What is its journey? Understand the ecosystem. Because if you want to create a world-class experience for your customers, you have to encompass everything that they do. It's kind of no different than I'm sure everyone at Christmas time, right? They've had to put, to put a bike together or something, and they're trying to find the instructions for use, and God forbid if they can do this. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how good the end product is, right, if the experience to get there along the way was horrible, so that's what I mean about becoming the product. You talk a lot about, especially early on in the book, about leadership. And I can't, everybody that comes on here talks about leadership, and I can't, you know, stress enough how important that is. But there's, you know, how, give us what you think about leadership and what's your take on leadership and how do we do little things? Because that's always, you know, you're never going to stop trying yeah. to learn how to be a better leader. And some days yeah. you get it right, some days you get it wrong. Talk a little bit about so, leadership. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, so I'm, I'm going to maybe just take a moment, Brian, because I think it's a great question. And, you know, one, so I have four foundational principles. And, and if it's okay, I'll walk through them real quickly. But the first one is that I believe, you, you know, a company should reinvest 10% of its total revenues back into organic R&D. 
Two, I think you need to focus on the things that are strategically important that are going to move the needle. Very few. Three, you need to develop products to your customers' eyes. And four, you need to lead people with emotionally intelligent innovation leadership. So now getting to answer your question yeah. very specifically, and, and actually that was my first book, uh, Mantra Leadership, I am very keen into emotionally intelligent leadership. And for me, I say EI, and this is very purposeful because – Emotional intelligence by the average listener is thinking, wow, you know what, that's somebody that maybe has a little empathy. Well, maybe we emotional hug, intelligence. Hugs a lot or something. A lot of hugs. Yeah, lot yeah of hugs. I think, yeah, people have that wrong perspective <laughs> and view. The reality is there's about 14 competencies around emotional intelligence. They're everything from being decisive to being a very good listener to being empathetic, but being able to, you know, have a good body language, having having an inviting personality. So in and if as a leader, if you can encompass and master half of these competencies, that distinguishes you to be a great leader from an average leader. And I think we've all met these what people that we perceive to be a great leader, and it's not about intelligence, albeit IQ is hugely important. Emotional intelligence is 90% more important than that 10% of IQ. So to me, emotional intelligence is you, you connect with people, but and that even gets to the interview process. For me, it's a gift. I can look at people and find people that are ambitious, that want to tell me about themselves and tell me about the things that they've overcome. I hire really great people. I, I take an interest in their careers and in their families. I empower them. I let them do the things that they need to do. I create the boundaries around that. But then after that, the sky's the limit, and they come up with not only ideas, Years and, and break down mountains, but that's the essence of emotionally intelligent leadership. And it, and to me, it's three legs of a stool. You can have a great strategy, and you can have an equally effective infrastructure. Yeah. But if you don't have emotionally intelligent leaders and great people, then you only have two legs of the stool, and it's not stable. You talk about social influence, and so yes, we can read up stuff on leadership, and yes, we can be you know emotionally responsible. How do we? get better at social influence? How do we get better socially to do that? Because you're right. I mean, you're so right. It's, it's not about how smart you are. It's not necessarily about how technical you are at certain things, but it's that social piece of it. That's important. What do you mean? And how, how do we always get better at that? Or how can we get better at that? I think that's a, it's a very good question, Brian. And this is the answer I tell people all the time is that leadership come, good leadership comes by practice. And leadership is no different than a good golf swing yeah. or being a good mathematician. You know, are, are, there, are there some savants in the world that are natural? The answer is unequivocally yes. But the average person does not get great at what they do unless they practice. So for me, when I talk about leadership, man, I want, you should read. You should read books. You should you know, embrace the things that are natural to you. But it's about practice. So as you progress through your career, you're going to get better at the things that you do, and leadership is no different. I can tell you, you know, your first time you have a reporting structure, you're going to make a lot of, a lot of errors and a lot of mistakes, and that's okay. Yeah. The key is you need to learn from them and get better at it. So think, if you want to be a good leader, read and practice. So, so what's your take, Dana? How, how are we doing um... – I don't even know how to put this, but how are we doing as a society? Like, are we losing? Because yeah. uh, I was a, a an educator for 17 years, and and I felt like I was a good leader as a as an educator, and I thought that I I was pretty good at teaching other students how to be a leader yeah. themselves. 
but does that happen? And are we teaching those, those skills, uh, today, 2016? You know, I, I this, it's funny. There's been a great deal of debate around are You are not, you know, are you a born leader or is it acquired skill? I would tell you, I mean, obviously there's a small, small percentage of people that are natural leaders and they're born gifts. And do they find the, those skills and do they go into that? Uh, some do. I think, the, the rest of it is by practice and hard work. It's no different than you go to college. I mean, if you want to become a master in something, you take more schooling and you continue to work and yeah. you practice at it. So to me, it's, it, it, again, it's leadership is about practice. And if you truly want to be a good leader, read and practice, write down the things that you want. And funny, that's how some of my books came about. I, I am, you know, I'm an avid reader and I write down the things uh, in my books and I highlight them and I go back and I reference them. And when you do that, you stimulate not only your brain. So I talk out loud, I read, I write. And so I'm stimulating different aspects of my brain, which then help me with the things I want to learn and get better at. And leadership is certainly in the forefront. And so you're always still today, even though you're writing a book about leadership and I always like to turn the page a little or turn, turn it around. And, yeah. I mean, you're still learning how to be a leader. I mean, you wrote a book on leadership. You don't need to learn how to be a leader, right? Well, I, I, there's a great expression and I don't know who said this, but they say, um, leaders read. Yeah. Which I thought was, oh my God, that is so, that is so perfect. Yeah. And it's so true, right? It's, uh, in the world we live in today, it's rapidly changing. And, and I think it's and no different than leadership styles and philosophies, which I, I think are more basic in, in their general nature. Again, if you can you know, employ EI, those skills are there and they're not changing. But the dynamics around you and like your question is changing. So when you look at school systems and even being a good leader, the dynamics on teachers have become far more difficult, right? Oh, yeah, By yeah. example, you know, when people, when parents take their, uh, the education of their kids seriously and bringing them outright and teaching them morals and ethics, well, those kids in schools are a lot, a lot easier to yeah, teach. that would make things easier. <laughs> right. Then kids <laughs> that, you know what, that when their parents just drop them off and then they expect teachers not only to educate them but to also then teach them right and wrong yeah. well boy that the dynamic for a teacher has changed radically so even though they might have great leadership like yourself boy there's a dynamic there at play which is going to be a real problem and mm. to that point if you carry it out yeah. if, even if you're a good kid you get lost in the system sure because you're so busy paying attention to the kids that are rowdy and and, and less focused. And to me, it's the same thing in business, right? And that's a fallacy where too many people take attention to the bad apples. Yeah. Well, for me, I look at that and say, you know what? If you hire the best apples and you empower them, they're going to do great. But then there's this other 8, 60% of your population is the, what you want to focus on because if you can get another 10% out of them, then you've moved the needle significantly. Yeah. And I don't waste my time with that lesser 10%. If they're not a good employee and they don't fit the culture, then it's like, you know what? It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that you're not a good fit. Yeah, Excuse and me. So to, let's move you in and move you out. Yeah, helping those people that are doing well do even better. That's always been something that we've thought about too. And yeah, you're right. I mean, sometimes people are just are not, a fight, not a right fit. They might be a great person, but they're not in that seat. They're the wrong person in the wrong seat. Hey everybody, this week's episode is also sponsored by Freshwater Apparel. Check out freshwaterapparel.com, that's freshwaterapparel.com, and check out their spring collection of t-shirts, and soon beanies are going to be on the way. We love these guys over at Freshwater. It's a Midwest clothing company, 
and they make all their products in Lansing, Michigan, and the shirts are 100% made in America. So you can't beat that. So if you love freshwater like we do here at Michigan Creative, you should definitely check out their site. Lots more coming, but right now they have t-shirts and tanks for both men and women. Like I said before, beanies are coming, stickers, all that stuff. So check out freshwaterapparel.com and get fresh. Back to the show. So right. let's, let's talk a little bit about you and, and you know, you're, you're extremely busy um, running a very large company and, and, but you're a piece of this machine and, and, you know, you're an important yes. piece of the machine. So how do you keep yourself, how do you make sure that you're running and everything else is running if you're not there one day or, you know, how do you make sure that you're always functioning at the best level that you can? Boy, that's easy, and that gets back to you know great leadership in my book. A great leader, you know, if you if you disappear, everything you should have a finely tuned machine around you. And how you get that finely tuned machine is that you hire people that are smarter and better than you, and that are complementary. Yeah. You don't want to hire people that are identical to you because then well, then you don't need you know if you're both identical you don't need one. But you want to hire people that are complementary, and if you hire the great people, the these good candidates, these good employees will not only do right by you, they will make the right decisions. They'll require minimal direction. The business will run with them. And so, what's funny is the best leaders I've ever ever seen had had appeared very calm all the time. And, and that's certainly a skill in a trade. Sure. But there's a reason for that, too, is that they didn't need to make all the decisions. They need to make a few important ones, but the people around them, because they've empowered them, if you share the same data that you have, they should then make the same decision that you have given the same conditions. So to me, I hire very good people that are smart and capable, empower them, and I share my philosophies and I show them the limits. And boy, yeah, I don't need to be here. This yeah. place runs with and without me. Uh, I've hired an exceptional staff. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like I've, uh, I've never really heard anybody say it like that. But the, you know, we always ask questions like, how how do we make sure that everybody in the company is as passionate as you and I are, but I, I don't think you can do that passion wise, but sure you can make people make the same decision or trust in that yeah. they're going to make the same decision that you would. And I like that. Cause that's to me, that's a little bit easier to have that happen than that passion piece. Cause they don't necessarily have to be as passionate as you, yeah. but they have yeah. to be able to make the right decision. So that's cool. I like that. You know, for me, it's interesting, too. I've got some different philosophies, but one of mine is I don't have regular stand-up meetings. What I do is I have an open-door policy all the time. People can walk in, but with my direct reports, I expect them to come in once a day. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll talk maybe five or ten minutes, just impromptu. Just walk in the door, let's talk. And so for me, I have a continuous running conversation. Cool. And so I'm sharing strategy. I'm sharing, you know, as the dynamic of the business is changing – I'm sharing with my staff on a regular basis, but I'm not doing it in a formalized meeting. I'm just, you know, boy, there's a, you know, we're having a conversation every single day. So it's like if there's a challenge, okay, let's, you know, 24 hours is going to elapse and that's it. And I'm doing that with all my staff. Cool. All right. So a little bit of this uh, program is about mistakes because we have learned so much from our mistakes. And I think a lot of business owners do. They're not fun, but they happen. So Dana, give us a mistake or what's something that you should tell somebody, Hey, don't do this. What would yeah, it be? I think that it's very simple, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. 
I mean, so I'm in research and development, right? I fail every single day. And pe- the problem is when people think they're afraid to fail or they're, they're going to become compromised, my gosh, then you're not gonna, you'll never take a risk. You know, successful people um, are not afraid to fail, but they are afraid to not try. Yeah. And, and I even think fail, and it's that, that fear of rejection maybe and that, that, feel, that fear of no. Like I think if you can get over that – um, yeah. that's, because, yeah, I mean, every, you look at all these famous people who have been turned down and turned down and turned down and, and where they are today. I mean, yeah. D- Disney Ford, all these different people yes. that, you know, that Stephen King, I mean, you could just, the list goes on and on and on and on. So what do you have to work on? What's your biggest fault, sir? Anything? I mean, for me, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I sometimes, I'm a very enthusiastic guy. I wear my heart, my emotions uh, on my sleeve. Uh, sometimes I need to tone that down. Uh, sometimes it's not viewed in the executive ranks as being um, executive. That's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. But I hear you. My, I get it. Yeah. But my people love it. Sure. I mean, they love to see my emotion and they know where I stand. And you know, look, I can, I, I can certainly be professional and, and, and stoic with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but so to me, it's, it's that balance, right? I'm a little more loose. Uh, and that's how I like to run my team and, and, and operate. And, but I also understand, you know, in the business world, maybe you need to tone that back a little bit and, you know, um, you know so it's not, not cheapened. Yeah, and I think that's changing, though. I think we're, you know, where that's a little more accepted or, you know, maybe a lot more accepted because it, mm-hmm. it just, you know, I think that's kind of the direction that we've been heading. So you talked about balance a little bit. Let's talk about balance with work and balance with life, really work-life balance. And, you know, how do you do that? And, and how do you make sure that your employees do that as well? Um, you know, cause for a lot of us, if we really love what we do, you know, it's not work. Um, but there's gotta be this point where we're not working. There's gotta be this point where we're actually there for other ones, uh, for our others, um, yeah. our children, our family, and we have to be there. And, and as a small business owner and an entrepreneur, and you know, it's hard cause you're always thinking, so how do we do it? Yeah, um, and I'm I'm a workaholic. Yeah. So for me, how I how I do this is I just make it into my normal day. And what I mean by that is yeah. that uh, I a couple things. So when I wake up in the morning, it's I have a cup of tea. I close my eyes. I sit in my rocking chair, and it's it's my my way of meditating. You know, I do push ups. I do sit ups every day. I walk, uh, and then at nighttime, I like to have a, a glass of wine or two. And, and I live on like a reserve so I can just look – my wife teases me about staring at the woods. <laughs> so what I do is instead of finding something specific, I've incorporated it into my day-to-day life. I'm, I'm terrible at taking time off from work and yeah. deconnecting. But so what I've done is you know, I take those little things every single day and that's how I deal with that work-life balance. Well, and I think, you know, always having a piece of something in the morning and then something in the afternoon or whatever, just to be able to have a routine. And, and I, and I, I think what we find is that when we take vacations, um, that when we get back, we have, it's so hard to get back into it that it's not fun. Like you're almost afraid to take vacations. And so you really need to make sure that you're taking time. And almost everybody that's come on the show has talked about some sort of meditation, some sort of exercise. Um, And I can't stress that enough, how important exercise meditation can be, especially in our busy, busy days. And and I think Brian, to share with your audience, right, they're always, I'm sure they're looking for tidbits. Sure. One of my tidbits is every single morning and every single night, I ask a simple question, which is, 
what do I need to accomplish today? What's the most single most important thing I need to do to make the day a success? And what happens with all this social media, with all this, you know, influence and all this electrical data and digital world that we live in, you can find yourself just being busy. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, all day long. But it's not necessarily important or strategic. And, And part of this meditation, when I do in the morning and at nighttime, I clear my head. Because as much as, I mean, and good leaders have this ability to, even in the monks to chaos, they can kind of see through the fog. Um, and, and that's somewhat of a learned skill as well. Uh, if not all can do it. A lot of, and, and, you know, and I'm not real big on emotional leaders at that level if they can't control themselves. But <laughs> I think if you look at the meditation, it helps you clear your mind and it helps you get back to what is important. Yeah, and I had a podcast today uh, as well before this, um, and they said almost identical uh, to, yeah, you go to work and you're busy. You're really busy, but you don't get anything done. Oh, my God, all the time. And there's emails and there's Facebook messages and tweets and and phone calls, and you're thinking that you're doing everything, but you're doing everything for someone else. And it's all their priorities, but you're making it a priority. And it's really not. And so that, that important thing, if you get one thing done, I'll be, I'll be happy. It's a really great mantra. And I like that. Yeah. It's there. It's about focus, right? Narrow your focus to what's truly strategic. And it gets back to my, you know, those four foundational principles, right? What is truly strategic to move that annual operating plan needle? Hi everybody. Brian here real quick. This episode of The Business Machine is sponsored by the one and only Michigan Creative. That's right. Michigan Creative sponsors this Business Machine podcast for now. So if you have other sponsors that would be willing to sponsor our little Business Machine podcast, it's a great resource for business owners across the globe. And this one is sponsored by us here at Michigan Creative. Michigan Creative is a full-service marketing and design firm in Lansing, Michigan. We provide mobile-friendly websites digital marketing, video production, branding, graphic design, and much, much more. So we'd love to work with you uh, wherever you are, and we really just want to talk to you. So if you want to just talk to us here at Michigan Creative, you can call me. My cell phone is 517-899-4533, or just visit michigancreative.com. All right, back to the show. Can we talk about mantra number nine real quick? Sure. (laughs) I like this one. (laughs) I'm guilty of this. So I want to talk about it. So this podcast is selfish because I want to learn things for my, for our company too, but um, this is great for everyone. So mantra number nine is hope is not a strategy. Um, Yeah. What do you you mean by that? I I think that's great. Uh, You know, I, and I reference a really good friend of mine, Barney Carter, and he came up with that mantra and I loved it so much. I use it. And I think it's simple like this is that, you know, a lot of people maybe have an idea or they have an aspiration or they have hope. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have a plan to bring that to realization, then it's nothing more than a dream. You know, it's kind of like ideation. Ideation is coming up with ideas. Innovation is the distillation to practice of those ideas. So I tell people, and you know what, if, if you can't tell me how you're going to get it done, then you're just, you're wishing, you're dreaming. You're, it's nothing but hope. So if you if you don't come to me with a a planned attack of you know of how you're going to get to the solution, I don't care if you have it or not, but you have to have a planned attack, and I think that's key for anybody that's moving through their career. If you know problems happen, that's okay, but if you're going to go see your one over, it's you. What you can't do is you can't go with a problem. Well, you have to go with, and you don't necessarily you don't have the solution. 
But what you need to do is say, look, I'm, I'm going to give you a heads up. Don't worry about this. I'm on top of it. Here's my plan. And so as long as you're one over, your executive recognizes and goes, oh, man, Dana's on top of this. I know what he's He told me. He gave me a heads up. So that way, if I run into my peers, I'm aware of this thing. And by the way, I, I have a sense of what his plan is and what his timeline is. Yeah, and I, I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, and especially that are starting up, and we see a lot of students who – Oh, you know, they were at pitch competitions and they have the great idea. And, you know, you ask them that question, well, who's your, who's going to use this and how? And they're like, well, the classic answer is, well, everyone is going to use this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, right away, that's a, that's a red flag. Well, no, not everyone is going to use this and, um, at least not yet. And so having that hope for, I know this is going to be great without a plan, I think is, is important. So, or is, is you need to have a plan. So. And, and it goes back to one of my foundational principles, yeah. right? You develop product and technology through your customer's eyes. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, boy, I, you know, one, I believe that you, you, the closer you are to your customer, then you can begin to understand their articulated needs. The problem is understanding their unarticulated needs. And you can't truly appreciate that if you don't better understand their career and their profession. So for me, it's, you know, innovation begins with the eye, the eyeball, not the letter I. Um, and, and if you watch your customers in a simulated environment doing their job, you can then begin to tune into not only what they're telling you, but what they're not telling you. Right. And when you do that, you can see their pain points, their discomfort, the things that are less than efficient. And those are unmet needs. And that's where discovery can bring you and and help you solve uh, a problem that your competitors have not done. And that's the essence of identifying your customers' unmet needs. All right. So I'll put you on a spot a little bit because you want us to um, think of one thing that if I got done today, so let's say tomorrow, so everybody listening, so tomorrow, Dana, here's one thing I want to (laughs) do. And and I want it to be, here's one thing I can do uh, tomorrow to be a better leader, small, something small, what can I do? I mean, I think the best thing to do is understand your blind spots. So in order to be a good, a great leader, right, everyone has a blind spot. And that's what's interesting to me. If you look at the entire industry, there's a whole industry based on coaches and 360 feedback. Yeah. And what is that? I don't know. Yeah, and, I and the whole industry is what do you do good, what do you not do good, and what do you need to improve? Yeah. Well, what's funny is if you took honest and candid feedback, people would tell you where your blind spots are. And so if you want to be a good leader, Mike, ask your guys what you do well and where do you have room for improvement. Now, here's the key Ooh. is if you don't have the power and, 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 and uh, the ability to with control your emotions so right. that if you can't you know, bite your head people's heads off, they're not going to tell you the truth. So when people come to you with bad news, you can't kill the message. You need to say thank you. And so if you want to be a better leader, what is your blind spot? And, and when you figure out that and you begin to practice – to guard against it, like mine, I talked about mine is I get very enthusiastic and sure. energetic. So, I mean, that's not a terrible one. But there's people that, again, they they can't uh, they can't prevent themselves from um, uh, not yelling <laughs> when right. things get tough or emotional. Yeah. Well, that's not very good. So if I and, ask and my staff be- and they all say I'm an amazing leader, then they're lying. 
<laughs> uh, I maybe you are. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to say that you're not, Brian. <laughs> or they're just. But really I scared. would certainly tell you there's probably <laughs> something you could do good at. So I, I think to me, I, I think if you're sincere, if you grab your staff and say, "Look, guys, yeah. I want, I really sincerely want to be a better leader. Can you, you know, tell me the things that I do good, and maybe is there area for opportunity?" My sense is that if you asked, you know, twelve people that question, including some friends. And including some people that work for you and some people that are associates, my sense is that you're going to find something to work on. Sure. No, I bet. Especially if they're on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they would too. I just hope it's not so long that I just decide to shut the company down. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're cl- and thanks a lot. And you're all fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> So you have a lot of great quotes. I love leadership, and it's one of the quotes that I say at the end of every podcast. But give us a quote that you like. Well, I think I mentioned it earlier, right? It's, um, you know, successful people are not afraid to fail. They're afraid to not try. Right. No, I like that a lot, and that's been pretty common. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and and that's and it's key, right? You just have to, yeah, you have to take a chance on life. Otherwise, you're never going to get to the end, and you can't be afraid of no. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right. Someone true. says no, oh, or, or you get embarrassed, or that's okay. So you talked about good good leaders read, um, and yeah. so besides your book, which I know is your favorite favorite <laughs> business book, what's another one that we're going to read past the first twenty pages? Because it seems like well, there's a lot of business books out there. And they sound really good on the cover, and we all have these really great plans of using them, but then they sit on the shelf, and we've read to page 22 or so. What's the one that we have to read front to to back? You know what I found to be a great book was – it was by Ram Charan, R-A-M-C-H-A-R-A-N, What the CEO Wants You to Know. Really? And, And this book is simple. It's not it's 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 pretty small, but really it's a business book and it breaks down things like, you know, gross margins and you know, earnings before income tax, revenues. Uh it, it takes business into a very simplistic model that even the simplest of your staff can understand. A great book. I recommend it for everybody in your business. Simple read and it helps people appreciate what business leaders think about all the time, every day. Yeah, every single day. And and that's the kind of things you can't really communicate. You know, I always joke that, you know, CEOs are on this lonely island together <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's very lonely. And because we yeah. can't really share our big worries, um, you know, payroll or cash flow yeah. or sales. We can't really share that with our staff necessarily because we don't want them to be worried about that. Um, Right. And sometimes we can't share that with our spouses because we don't want them to worry about. So it's a lonely place, yeah. but that might be something that they, you know, because I don't know if the regular person, I just assume that because we're a small business, everybody knows, but you're right. Yeah. All right, yeah, Dana. A, I think it's a great point, but I think it's important enough too that, you know, and there's that balance, right? So you don't want to worry your employees and yeah. your staff, sure. but they do need to understand what's on your mind. So if, if cash is an issue, you don't want them spending frivolously either. Yep. So you don't want to be unapproachable or appear to be you know, frugal. But I think it's okay to explain, look, you know what? We're somewhat cash strapped this month. Let's focus on what's important and understand where I'm coming from. All right. If you could have and meet and have dinner with any business owner, Dana, who would it be? You know, I have a great deal of respect for Bill George, um, and Bill George was the first CEO of Medtronic. I would tell you he's probably, the, in my opinion, the greatest CEO uh, of Medtronic, and he helped really create the 
from a very small business to the foundations to what it is today, uh, as well as he writes about uh, being authentic and, and he, he truly uh, um, honors values. He's a values president uh, and CEO, so someone I have great respect for. Give hmm. us technology, app, or software you can't live without. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, I, you know, I, I love uh, like Wikipedia. Boy, you know, like I said, I read or I do, you know, I do presentations or, or I write, and uh, it's great to, if if I don't, I can't remember a person or remember a book or remember an expression or a word or boy, I just go to Wikipedia and you type in one word and bam, you know, you have an encyclopedia right at your hand. It's amazing. I don't know what we did before. I have no idea. <laughs> well, we had those big, big uh, shelves of the books. Remember? Yeah, all that encyclopedias. I mean. <laughs> Oh yeah, I still have those encyclopedias. Yeah, cool. I mean, as funny as that is, yeah. albeit the, you know, the net is there, and God forbid the power goes out. Oh my gosh, we'd all be in big trouble. <laughs> all right, Danny. Before we get to the last question, what's the best way that we can get in touch with you and bounce ideas and ask questions about mantra design? Yeah, well, thank you for that, Brian. The best way is through my website, and and I obviously strongly recommend people to go there. It's uh, www.mantra. M A N traleadership.com one word mantra leadership and I post all my interviews uh, and I've done several now between either magazine or and or radio and it's these type of things that we talk through philosophically so if people like what they're hearing they can go there and find a great deal more there's a lot of wonderful information there they can preview the books and link in or link out yeah so mantra design you can also get mantra design on Amazon and also through our show notes that you will see in there. And all those links will be hooked up. So Dana, last question, but it's a big one. What do you think, or what do you hope that your legacy is? Yeah. I I mean, I, I hope people look at me and say, my God, Dana, you know, was a good leader that they made my life. He made my life better, you know, not only in work, but in, in, um, you know, just in society. You know, he helped me. Not a bad legacy. Dana, thank you, know. you so much. Is there anything else that, that we didn't cover that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I think, Brian, this has been good. I mean, you know, we've been on the phone now for a little while and covered a variety of things. And I just, again, want to say thank you for the opportunity to be on your show and to, to meet you. It's a, it's a pleasure, sir. Good, sir. Well, thank you very much. And I love your book. And, and I wish you the best of luck in the next, to, you know, getting to your legacy and helping people. I'm sure you will. So you guys check out his book, Mantra Design. It's on Amazon. It's in the show notes. And just read the mantras, at least when you start, because it's interesting, because I think it applies for just about everybody. And it's good to have those reminders that we're, you know, we're going to make it and we can do the right thing. We just have to be reminded. So again, Dana, Oliver, thank you so much for being on. He's the Senior Director of Research and Development at Medtronics and also author of Mantra Design. So once again, I'm Brian Town, the host of The Business Machine and CEO of Michigan Creative. And remember, guys, a good leader makes everyone around him or her better than they are. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you on the next show.